Acts chapter 13, and we're beginning a new section in the book of Acts, uh, a section that is going to really focus on missions. And over the next three weeks in particular, we're going to focus on the, the call of God on our church to engage in missions and proclaiming the gospel cross-culturally in, in different areas of the world. And, and I hope that this is a really encouraging series for you over the next few weeks and really over the next few months as we continue to look at this section in the book of Acts. A couple things that you can be doing during these weeks. One, a uh, very easy thing, you can go out and, and look in the uh, lobby area on, on this wall out here. We're going to have little emphasis on different missionaries and mission organizations that we support. You may have noticed the, the new graphics that are up there. And every quarter or so, I think we're going to emphasize different missionary partners that we've so we're supporting or sending and so just go out there and look at that and and be mindful of, of praying for those things right now there's there's a plaque at the very middle that lists all the missionaries that we're supporting and sending so be sure to, to check that out also want to encourage you to be participating in our adult sunday school class over the next few weeks as we talk with some different missionaries who we support and and get to talk about uh, those sorts of things and uh, even this afternoon, after church, and we're going to be having a, a lunch with Heidi, uh, and so be sure to, to come and, and participate in that today. I want to encourage you also to be uh, reaching out to missionaries, to be mindful of, okay, as I, as I get to know the, the people who are sent by our church or supported by our church, be sure to be uh, developing relationships with them. Maybe you're part of a care group. And your, your care group would like to have a closer relationship with the missionary. You can contact Dave Robinson, and he can partner you up with, with the missionary. But then also, I would just encourage each of us, beginning this morning, over the next few weeks particularly, to be thinking about how has God called me to be faithful in, in the Great Commission ministry that he's called all Christians to participate in. My hope would be that, that over the, the next weeks, months, years, God would be calling more people in our church to engage in, in missions, to, to be missionaries. We'll talk more about what that term means next week. But that all of us would have a greater sense of, okay, here's how I fit into the Great Commission ministry that is, that is Bethany Community Church. Here's how God has called me to be obedient in this call to, to make disciples of all nations. And so be thinking about that, praying through that as we look at God's word together seeing what God would call you to do to be obedient to him, uh, to see the, the joy of people coming to worship God. So we're now in this, this new section of the book of Acts where there's a, a greater focus on, on missions, on global missions, and we encounter the, the first missionary journey in the book of Acts, but it begins with a church. It begins with the church of Antioch. And so if you're able to, if you'd stand with me in honor of God, as we read just the first few verses of Acts chapter 13, where this, this missions ministry begins. We're back in the church of Antioch, and verse 1 of Acts chapter 13 says this, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. You may be seated. May God encourage and strengthen us 
through his word this morning. And, and Heavenly Father, as we think about your call to make disciples of, of all nations, teaching, baptizing, pro- proclaiming how to walk in obedience to you, we, we pray that you would be working within our hearts here at, at Bethany Community, help our church to grow in our ability to, to be a, a church that is passionate about proclaiming your gospel to people who do not yet know you. Give us strength in that endeavor. Give us joy in that purpose. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, as we begin this this new section, this new section, uh, we're talking about missions. We're going to encounter Paul's first missionary journey here in Acts chapter 13. Then we're going to kind of see some of the the aftermath of that first missionary journey. Let me just kind of show you a map. This is a, a map that you probably have seen in the back of your Bible, or maybe you uh, have a little digital Bible, and so it's a little harder to, to see in that. But, but this is just kind of, this is where we're headed, this first missionary journey of Paul. You know, he begins there in the north in Antioch, and then he's going to, he and Barnabas are going to travel to the island of Cyprus, and then they're going to travel up to Galatia, and they're going to proclaim the gospel there, and then they're going to go back through Galatia, strengthening the churches, and then head back, not to Antioch, but back to Jerusalem. And then we're going to, so we're going to kind of walk through that, see what happens over the next few weeks, months, and then we're going to see some of the aftermath, what happens as a result of this gospel proclamation to both Jews and to Gentiles. That's that's where we're headed. Now, this, this missionary journey covers some 900 miles, according to, to one commentator. It means that uh, Paul and Barnabas were traveling some 15 miles a day on average by, by foot. This was a very extensive journey, and this journey is a fulfillment of God's call on Paul that we saw in Acts chapter 9. Remember in Acts chapter 9, God tells Ananias to go to Paul, then called Saul, and then God says, for he, that's Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So what I want us to see in in these first few verses of, of chapter 13 is I want us to notice that as the church matures and embraces the great commission that God has called the church to, as that happens within a church, it becomes a church that sends and supports missionaries. Missions is is done by individuals. We call them missionaries. We'll talk more about what that means next week. And, And organizations help churches send missionaries. If you go out and and look at that that plaque on the wall, that little poster board out there or board, you see the names of individuals and you see the the names of some organizations that we partner with. But, But ultimately, what I want us to understand as we look at these verses this morning, missions is, is the ministry of the local church foundationally, fundamentally. It's, it's the local church that engages in missions. The local church partners with individuals. We, we partner with or, other organizations, but ultimately it's the local church that is sending individuals to, to plant and, and strengthen other local churches. Andy Johnson wrote a book entitled Missions, and I love the, the subtitle. The subtitle is, How the Local Church Goes Global. 
And in it, he writes this. He says, God has determined to act through history so that, as Ephesians 3.10 puts it, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Johnson continues, even as we consider our own individual commitment to global missions, we should do so in the context of our roles as church members. If we are to understand how to pursue the mission faithfully, the local church must be central to identifying, training, sending, and supporting missionaries. The local church must be engaged in missions if we're to fulfill God's call for us as a people. Now, the question is, how? How do we as a church, how do we, this local church, Bethany Community Church, how do we grow in our passion for missions? I believe that God is doing and will continue to do great things through our church in regards to great commission ministries, proclaiming the gospel of, of God throughout the world. But, but how do we grow in that? How do we become a church that's more excited, not just as some individuals, but, but how do we get an excitement that permeates the body, an excitement for gospel proclamation ministry? How do we get the entire church excited about missions? How do we grow our missions ministry? There's, there's several wrong ways we can do that, right? We can guilt people, you know. Man, if you, if you love Jesus more, you'd be, you'd be doing this, you'd be doing that. Or we can kind of create, create ministries, programs. Okay, here's a program, now we need someone, to, you need to fill this. And so, but but I, I don't think that's, either of those are the most healthy ways to increase a church, church's passion, commitment to, to missions. Let me read some words from one of the most influential books I've, I've ever read. I've mentioned this book before. It's Let the Nations Be Glad by, by John Piper. And, I, you know, I love to read. I love to read books. And, and uh, even though I love to read, it's rare that I, I just, as I read a book, am affected just deeply emotionally. You know, there's probably five to ten books that I've ever read that just, I, as I've read them, it wasn't like angels were singing. Uh, this is a book that's going to change your life. This is a book that's going to change your life. Um, that's how an angel sings. Um, that's, that hasn't happened, but, but, um, but close, okay, close when I read these, these first words of Let the Nations Be Glad. As, as, I read, as I read these first words, this introduction to Let the Nations Be Glad, I was like, okay, this, this is going to change my life. And before this point, I'd, I'd understood that missions was important, but I, I wouldn't say I was passionate about missions. I, I felt guilty about not wanting to do missions more. But, but then I read these words, and it, life-changing words. You've probably heard these before. Listen to what Piper writes. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the, the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It's a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. 
Worship, therefore, worship, therefore, is the fuel and goal of missions. It's the goal of missions because in missions we simply aim to bring the nations into the white-hot enjoyment of God's glory. The goal of missions is the gladness of the peoples and the greatness of God. The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the many coastlands be glad, Psalm 97.1. How does a church grow in its passion for missions. A church grows in its passion for missions as a church grows in its love of God and his glory. So here's the main thing I want us to think about this morning. A church with a passion for God is a church that sets apart and sends out people who yearn for others to love and worship God. It's a church that has a burning passion for God and his glory to to be known throughout the world. That's the church that's going to set apart and send out people who yearn for others to love and worship God. In other words, if we are going to be a church that grows in our passion for missions, it's, it's, it's inevitable that as we grow in our passion for God, we're going to grow in our ability and our passion to set apart people for the task of proclaiming the gospel. We're going to do two things this morning. First of all, we're going to spend time talking about the church that sends missionaries. And as we talk about being the church that sends missionaries, we're going to spend some time talking about some characteristics of the church in Antioch. And then we're going to talk about the missionaries that the church sends. So we're looking at the church in Antioch that is sending the missionaries. And then we're going to talk just for a few minutes about the missionaries that the church sends. And then we're going to spend a little bit of time at the end of our service talking to two of the missionaries that, that we have sent. And if you're watching our live stream, we're going to kind of cut out so that we can bring them up here and, and talk with them, and we can't uh, broadcast that. But um, that's what we're doing this morning. So first of all, let's talk about the church that sends missionaries. And look here at the first three verses of Acts chapter 13. Notice here, we're going back to the church at Antioch. Where have we been? We've been in Jerusalem. We've been in Caesarea. Now we're going back to the church in Antioch. Do you remember when we first encountered the church in Antioch? It was in Acts chapter 11. Remember in Acts chapter 11, as a result of persecution and other reasons, people are proclaiming the gospel in Antioch. It's a, it's a, a church that's diverse in the, the people who are part of it. And as people in Antioch respond to the gospel message, a church is formed. And it's interesting, isn't it? That it's not the church in Jerusalem that sends missionaries, it's the church in Antioch. As God has been working in this church in Antioch, it's this church that sends missionaries. And let's, let's talk about some of the characteristics then of this church that sends missionaries. And these characteristics that we see of this church are, are things that are inevitable in a church that is growing in its love for Christ and a passion to see his name glorified. And, and by the way, these are characteristics of a church that is sending biblical missionaries. It's engaging in biblical missions work. That's an important caveat. We'll talk more about that in the weeks to come too. But here's, here's the first thing I want us to see. Number one, a church that sends missionaries, that is engages in, in biblical missions work, is a church that's diverse in its giftings. Notice what the text says here. Luke, as he's talking about the church, says, now there were in the church in Antioch, and remember this is the church that's, that has been planted. It's, 
in the church at Antioch, there are prophets and teachers. Then it begins to, to list some of the individuals that are in this church and, and ministering. Now, when we first encountered the church in Antioch in Acts chapter 11, it was, it was, a, it was a group of, of new believers. And remember what the church in Jerusalem does? The church in Jerusalem sends Barnabas to Antioch to, to begin teaching there, to disciple them. Barnabas looks at what's going on there and says, okay, I, I need to, to grab Saul. And so he goes and he grabs Saul. And this is probably about 45 AD. Saul and, and Barnabas, or Paul and Barnabas, begin engaging in discipleship in the church at Antioch. And now, we're, we're probably in around 47 A.D., whenever Acts chapter 13 begins. And what's taken place? Through the, the ministry of Paul and Barnabas and these, these other prophet teachers, there's a, a teaching ministry that's, that's taking place. I, I believe that what we encounter here is, are these in, individuals being d- discipled by Paul and Barnabas and now by these other prophet teachers, Ephesians chapter 4 talks about how God, this is verse 11, says God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What's the purpose? Well, as, as God has given the church, the apostles and the prophets, uh, there, there's this building up, and there's other people engaging in ministry. And he says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who's ahead, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And that's what's been taking place over the last few years here at the church in Antioch. And now there are other prophet teachers here, maybe as a result of coming into the area or a part of Paul and Barnabas's teaching ministry. There is a diversity of giftings that exists within the church in Antioch as it's maturing. And again, it's interesting that it's the Antioch church and not the Jerusalem church that's the impetus for the first missionary journey. Now, it says prophet teachers here. It seems that Luke is kind of overlapping these, these two categories of, of function, which I think is true for the first century church. Now, we can talk more about the, the gift of prophecy and the gift of teaching as, as we go through other parts of Acts and other parts of the New Testament, but what I believe is happening here is at the beginning of church, the, the, the church in Acts, you have God giving apostles and a, a special gift of prophecy that overlaps with the gift of teaching. Paul would say in Ephesians 2, 20, that the household of God, the church, has been built on the foundation, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So the church is built on the, the teaching of the apostles and the, pro, the prophetic gift, the ministry there, and then teachers are, are taking the apostolic instruction saying, okay, here's how you live in obedience to this. Now, I don't believe that the gift of prophecy as it exists in the first century still exists today, but the gift of teaching continues as we take the apostolic authoritative teaching, God's word, and explain it to people. It's a, a systematic instruction. So what's happening in the church in Antioch? is you have, a, I think, an increasing diversity of gifts. You have prophets and teachers who are equipping the saints here to engage in ministry. I think it's also a church that's diverse in types of the, the, the people that are here. Notice the names that are mentioned. Look at your text. Now, 
by the way, when I say that there's diversity of people, I, I don't mean that a church, in order to engage in missions, has to have like a certain percentage of one ethnicity and a certain percentage of another ethnicity and a certain percentage of another ethnicity. What I'm saying is, in a church that's maturing, in a church that's excited about the gospel, the differences that exist among people in a community, be it ethnic differences or cultural differences or socioeconomic differences, whatever differences exist within a community, as the gospel reaches that community and people find their identity in Christ, those, those differences subside and people become united in the community that exists within the church. So again, notice these names. You know Barnabas. We've talked about him already. Some of these names, we don't know anything more than this verse. That's Simeon. Uh, this, this person is called uh, Niger, which means black in Latin. He's probably from the northern part of Africa. There's also Lucius of Cyrene, so also from North Africa. There's Manan, and we don't know anything more about him other than it says that he was a lifelong friend, and that word that's translated lifelong friend there means a, a person who, who grew up with Herod the Tetrarch. Remember our study of the Herod? This would have been Herod the Great's son, one of the four rulers who took over Herod's kingdom that we encounter in Scripture. So, they're from different areas. They have different backgrounds. You have this, this guy who would have been friends with Herod the Tetrarch. You have Paul who would have been a Hebrew of Hebrews. What, what is there here? What is there in Antioch that there isn't in Jerusalem? There's diversity. There's people from different backgrounds who find their passion for Christ overcomes the, the differences they might otherwise have. A church that sends missionaries is going to be diverse in its giftings of both spiritual gifts and the people who exist in the church because a church that's growing and maturing is going to have an increasing passion for God and a less, less of a concern with the differences, the cultural differences that exist within their community. The gospel is going to consume their, their passion. For a church to effectively engage in missions we need diversity. We need to, to have people who have different spiritual giftings and people from different cultural backgrounds or whatever backgrounds it is who are coming together, united in the common passion for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Missions is tough. We need our unity to be in the gospel, our passion to be for the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's the second thing I want you to notice about this church here. Number two. A church that sends missionaries is, is strong in its doctrine. A church that's going to be able to, to send missionaries is going to be a church that's strong in its doctrine. We, we see this in a couple of ways. We see the importance of doctrine and teaching several ways here in the church in Antioch. One, back in Acts chapter 11, the emphasis was on teaching. This, this church in Antioch needed teaching. So you, you see that Paul and Barnabas are engaged in, in teaching and there's instruction in God's word. We also, it's, it, there's an emphasis on teachers here in verse 1. It's prophets and teachers, people who have the ability to, to take the instruction of the faith and, and engage in, in systematic instruction of it to the church. And then you'll notice this if you keep reading in, in chapter 13 and really throughout the book of Acts, as you see the disciples engage in proclaiming the gospel, there is a lot of instruction and doctrine. There's Okay, here's who Jesus is. Here's who we are. Here's our, our need to respond. Here's how we respond to God. There is deep instruction in 
in the scriptures as they engage in missions. Missions is more than just, hey, believe in Jesus. It's an instruction. Here's who Jesus is. Here's who you are. Here's our responsibility before him. Here's what faith is. There are doctrinal truths that must be understood and communicated. And a church that's going to engage in biblical missions must be a church that is strong in its doctrinal teaching. That's why we at Bethany, we're, we're unashamedly a, a, a teaching church. As we engage in ministry on a Sunday morning, we are engaged in, in proclamation of, of teaching through song, through the study of God's word. We're going to go deep into scripture. We're going to think deeply about what God's word says. Now, it's interesting. As you go through the New Testament, and Paul tells the, the churches what to do or not do, you notice he doesn't just say, hey, guys, um, you know that thing you're doing? Knock it off. Just stop it. Or you know the thing you should be doing in the army? Start doing it. That, that's not how he interacts with the church. Let me give you a couple examples. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, they've asked Paul a question about eating uh, food that's been sacrificed to idols. And Paul doesn't just say, hey, just do that or don't do that. What does he do? He goes deep into doctrine. He says, you know, you asked me about eating food offered to idols. We know, and then he goes into theology. An idol has no real existence, and there's no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there's one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. So what is he doing? He's going deep into the theology of, okay, here's a question about idols. Now let me give you a theology of who God is. And now here's what you do because of that knowledge that you have of who God is. Or in, in Philippians, Philippians, he doesn't just say, hey, um, guys, stop being so ridiculously selfish and, and love each other. Okay, you know that selfishness? Knock it off. That's not what Paul says. He goes deep into theology of who Jesus is. He says, look, uh, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, now he goes into who Jesus is, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So in a church that's strong in doctrine, you're not just saying, hey guys, knock off the selfishness, right? Okay? The selfish stuff, not cool. Okay, that's, that's not how we teach, right? So okay, let me tell you who Jesus is. Jesus is the one who created the universe. All things came into existence through him and for him. He's the one we worship. God has exalted him above every name. And that Jesus, he humbled himself to the, the, the point of, of becoming a human being, of taking upon himself flesh and dying for us. Now, as you contemplate who Jesus is and what he did, now do likewise. 
What is that? That's this motivation based upon doctrine, understanding who Jesus is. It's, it's lasting. It has the ability to affect true change as we contemplate the beauty of God and worship him. In a church that's going to engage in faithful missions ministry, we must be strong in our doctrinal understanding of who God is and who we are. A church that's going to, to send missionaries is going to say, look, this is the world we live in. This is what God's word says about the lost. The lost are perishing. There is a hell. It is real. There, there's a judgment of God that's, that's, that is visited upon sinners. Here's who Jesus is. Here's a right theology of possessions. Here's why it is worth it to, to give of your life for the, for the good of those that you would desire to come into worship of God. Here's who God is, and here's why he is beautiful enough to, to lay everything down for the, the joy of seeing other people come to know him and worship him as well. A church that is not strong in doctrine will not be a church that's strong in biblical missions. How can we convince someone to lay down their possessions, to encounter suffering, to pray faithfully if they don't have strong doctrinal understanding of who God is? In my preaching classes that I took in seminary, it was really interesting. There was a, a real quest for relevance. I said, okay, um, how, can we, how can we, as you know, we're all young guys in these seminary classes at the, the time, I know, not now, at the time, and, and we're reading these books, and, and these different guys are saying, man, how do, we, how do we keep the attention of people on a Sunday morning in a, in a, in a culture that is just bombarded with entertainment? And there's a lot of books we've read that are like, hey, you know, dress up like Jonah and, and you know, watch this movie clip and do these sorts of things. And, and uh, it, what's very interesting to me, that was, I don't even know how many years ago now, 15 years ago or whatever. And, and what's interesting is I go back and I read some of those books or listen to some of the sermons that they had us listen to. And um, th those guys aren't on the scene anymore. <laughs> the, the, the people that we were supposed to base our ministry on, they, they're no longer in ministry or their, their ministries are, have crumbled, or um, they're just outdated. Um, who wants to watch a sermon on Cars 3? You know, it just doesn't hold up well, right? An excellent cinematic endeavor, I'm sure, but, <laughs> but, but what, what lasts? I mean, we're, sti we're still reading, I'm reading a, a book with the staff, with Spurgeon, you know? We're still reading J.C. I read J.C. Ryle last, uh, recently and just you read a paragraph. You're like, that is, that guy's from the 1800s. I mean, this, this could have been written today. Why? Because it's based upon God's unchanging truth, the word. Encourage you. Encourage you as you think about this. Study hard. Listen carefully to God's word. I know it can be difficult to listen uh, to, to, to doctrinal preaching, right? It's, it, it's, especially if you're newer to the faith, it, it takes a lot of work to to stay in there, right? I'm, uh, I've shared with you before my great uh, distaste for lifting weights. You know, uh, I don't enjoy exercising. By, I like running, but lifting weights, not, not so much. But I, I realized recently I really need to, to, to be healthy in that area, and so I went to the gym and was lifting some weights. And, and, and literally, literally, someone felt the need to come up to me and say, is that all you're going to lift? <laughs> and I said, well, you don't know how many times and they said, well, how many? Well, just the one this time, but, um, but in the future, right? You know, do, doing hard things, it, it takes effort, right? 
It takes effort, and the same is true with understanding God's word, doctrine. A church that's really going to send missionaries who can last the course is going to be a church that goes deep in doctrine. Here's who God is. Here's, a, a, here's why God is worth the sacrifice. Here's a third thing I want us to think about, a third thing about the church that sends missionaries. Number three, a church that sends missionaries is sensitive to the prophetic word. It's sensitive to the prophetic word. It says that the church is through the Holy Spirit, speaks to the church, and, and the church listens. We're going to talk again more about this as we go through Acts. I'm, I'm not sure how the Holy Spirit communicated this here, perhaps through the prophets that are there in the church in Antioch. But the church here in Antioch, here's what the Holy Spirit says. and says, okay, that's what we need to do. The church, our church, believes what God's word says about the gospel. Our church believes the prophetic word that the gospel is mankind's only hope for salvation. As a church, at Bethany Community Church, we're sensitive to the prophetic word. We believe what God said through Paul in Romans chapter 9 is, as he talked about the people in his world who were lost. He says, I, my conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. As you and I think about the lost, we are sensitive to the prophetic word. We believe what God's word says about God's wrath, and we have unceasing anguish in our heart through the work of the Holy Spirit within us. We believe what God's prophetic word says in Romans chapter 10, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We believe what it says in Romans 10, 14, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. We at Bethany Community Church, as we grow in our passion for God, we believe the prophetic word, and we believe that the feet that proclaim the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ are beautiful feet. A church that sends missionaries is, is sensitive to the prophetic word as it believes what God says about himself and about the beauty of the gospel. Number four, a church that sends missionaries is engaged in corporate worship. It's engaged in, in corporate worship. We've, we've talked about this recently, a, a few weeks ago. But just, just notice, notice what happens here. I, I believe, it says in verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord, I, I believe that's talking about the church worshiping. I believe that's the, we talked about this, the ecclesia, the assembly of the saints. I, I think that's what's happening here. Could be wrong, but I, I think that's what's happening. There's an assembly, a gathering. Something special, as we talked about, Something special happens when saints gather. It's a gathering, in the gathering, that God has promised to manifest himself in a, a special way. And so a, a church that sends missionaries recognizes my goal, our goal as a church, is not just to, to go into a community and see a bunch of individuals place their faith in Jesus Christ. My, my goal isn't to go into a, a place that, that doesn't have any believers and say, okay, now, now we've got 10 believers or, or 2 believers or, or 20 believers. That, that's, that's not the, the sum total of our mission. A, a church that understands the importance of the, of the gathered saints, of the special nature of, of God's people gathered for worship says, okay, 
As we've experienced this here in our community in, in Washington, Illinois, in central Illinois, we, we've, we've experienced this. We've experienced that those who are, are part of Bethany Community Church coming together to worship God. We want to see other people experience this in this place and in that place, in this location. We want to see other gatherings of, of people assembled to praise the greatness of God's name. We understand the importance of, of a people coming together to worship. And we don't want just one individual here, an individual in that house, an individual in that home placing their faith in Jesus Christ. We want to see them gathered for the purpose of, of expressing the glory of God's name. A church that engages in, in, in missions biblically engages in corporate worship, as the psalmist says. As the psalmist says in, in Psalm 67, Sorry, 66. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. A church that understands the beauty of the gathered saints, of the ecclesia, of the assembly, says, okay, we want to see this taking place in other cultures, in other lands, in other peoples, the greatness of God's name being proclaimed. Number five, a church that sends missionaries is led by the Spirit. It's led by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, it says here, separates individuals for the work. The, the word there is uh, the word set apart. It's a word that's used in Galatians 1 and Romans 1 as Paul talks about his ministry. This is not saying that a church is driven just by emotions. The Spirit is not just an emotional movement. What's happening here is a, a church is, is aware of the presence of the Spirit and has a desire to, to walk in the Spirit. Remember as we went through Galatians, we, we talked about the the deeds of the flesh versus the deeds of the Spirit. A church that's led by the fruit of the Spirit is a church that's experiencing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We're not led by the, the flesh. The church that sends missionaries must be a church that submits to the work of the Holy Spirit within her, and that's what happens here in Acts chapter 13. Set apart for me, says the Spirit, and the church says, yes, that is what we will do. A church that sends missionaries is going to say, okay, Holy Spirit, what do you desire us to do? That's what we will do as well. Number six, a church that sends missionaries is mindful of the spiritual nature of their mission. Notice the type of preparatory work that's, that's taking place here in the church in Antioch. They're, they're gathered for worship, but... What are they doing while gathered for worship in verse 2? It says they're worshiping the Lord and, and fasting. There's, there's this time of, of recognizing, I, I believe here, the, the spiritual nature of the work. There's fasting and prayer that takes place as the church is rightly understanding the nature of the mission before it. Do you remember in, I think it's in... Um, the story takes place in all three of the, the synoptic gospels, but I think it's in Mark 9. In Mark 9, where the, the disciples bring this, this boy who was uh, being, 
who was um, under, under the demonic control, a demonic influence of, of these demons. And they, they brought him to Jesus and said, we, we weren't able to, to do anything here. And Jesus is able to, 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 to heal the boy. And his disciples say, you know, Jesus, why, why couldn't we do this? And what does Jesus say? He, 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 in some of the gospel accounts, he, he talks about their faith, but he also talks about how this, this kind, you, you can't do anything here except by, by prayer, some manuscripts also, and, and fasting. In other words, brothers and sisters, there is some work that is so of the Lord that there is no way that we have the ability to do it unless we recognize our complete inability and, and God's complete superiority and sovereignty over that, that work. church with increasing awareness of God's greatness and our weakness is a church that's growing in its readiness for missions. Think about what we are asking our, our missionaries to do. We are asking our missionaries to preach the word of the cross to those who are not yet worshiping God. And what is the word of the cross? Paul says in 1 Corinthians. The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. We are asking people within our church, hey, go over here to this culture and, and proclaim a message that that culture is going to find foolish. I mean, they're going to find it foolish in the culture you're a part of, now do it cross-culturally. We're asking them to do an impossible thing. And a church that's going to be able to, to effectively send missionaries is going to say, okay, we recognize that this task we're asking you to do, it's ridiculous. I mean, people in your culture don't believe the gospel message. Now go to this, this other culture that doesn't accept you as part of that culture. Now tell them about the word of the cross. That's foolishness. How in the world can we ask that of people? It's a work that only God can do. And a church that's going to send missionaries effectively is mindful of the spiritual nature of that mission is going to be engaged deeply in prayer and fasting for God to work in a way that only he can. If you're aware of the spiritual nature of this, this task, you're implementing spiritual tools, prayer, fasting, seeking the Lord's favor. Number seven, a church that sends missionaries is aware of the responsibility to care for their workers, says that they take Paul and Barnabas and they lay hands and there's, there's recognition. We, we are sending you and we're going to be responsible for your care as you engage in this ministry. That brings me to the second thing I want us to, to think about this morning and it's in verse 2. It's, it's the missionaries the church sends. So that's the missionaries the church sends. We've talked about the church that sends missionaries, a church that's growing its passion for God. But let's talk about the missionaries that the church sends. We'll talk more about this in two weeks. But, but notice here, who God calls them to send. It's, it's their best, right? Paul and Barnabas. I mean, can you imagine two better people to engage in the work of missions? The, the missionaries the church sends are our best. Not necessarily the not necessarily the the the, the flashiest people or whatever, but, but the people that are faithful to the Lord and his work. 
The missionaries that the Lord sends are, are those that he has set apart to do the work to which he has called them. Now we as a church must be faithful to care well for the missionaries that the Lord has given us and entrusted to us. Because what are we doing? We are asking them to do that which is impossible. They have an impossible task. We have an impossible task. And the way we become a church that loves missions is to become a church that loves God. A church with a passion for God sets apart and sends out people who yearn for others to love and worship God.